Thank you, Pete, uh, for leading. Thank you, Luke, for the affirmation of Pete's great leadership today. But I really want to thank Amelia and Sam for planning that worship and really helping us to get into the message of Easter, the message of the cross. Uh, they said they planned something. I didn't know what, but it was just wonderful and really felt God touching my heart. I don't know if you did, to get into the richness of the message at this time of year. We don't have a service here on Good Friday, and uh, so often the Sunday before Easter, this Sunday, we do think about the cross particularly, uh, and uh, rather than Palm Sunday, and then next Sunday, obviously, we're looking at the resurrection. So we're approaching the Easter weekend, and if the slide could go up, we've been on the road to Jerusalem looking at the events leading up to the crucifixion, the Last Supper, the triumphal entry, the turning of the tables, the Garden of Gethsemane. And now we're thinking about approaching the cross. And there's always a a dilemma. There's some Christians, some churches that really want to get into the agonies of the cross and experience that. And there, I hope you go to Trafalgar Square. It's an excellent event. But there will be some people having three-hour services and long silences, and trying to think of the agony of the cross. And that's one way people engage with it as Christians. And other people say, well, Jesus won a great victory on the cross, so let's just celebrate Good Friday and go for the triumph of the cross. And it kind of goes either way. You can kind of, okay, he suffered, but that was 2,000 years ago. Forget it. Let's say he won the victory and just celebrate. And other people trying to think and get into some of the agonies that Jesus faced as he approached the cross. And I was thinking about it today, and I did want to spend some time this week dwelling on the darkness and the difficulty and the pain of the cross and not just pass over that. And so we will do that. And I've thought about it in terms of darkness and light, and that theme is very much in the gospel. So approaching the cross, I want to say, and I hope it doesn't depress you, that great is the darkness, and look at that but we're going through the darkness into the light. And we'll end on that note. And that be the subject for next week, the light of God shining on Resurrection Day. Now, there's a guy called Ernest Shackleton. You've probably heard of him. And if you go out of here and walk down the hill on the left, just before St. Bart's Church, there's a house with one of those blue plaques on with his name. And he moved to Sydney when he was 10. And what's he famous for? An explorer, he led, yep, he led three expeditions to the Antarctic to try and be the first to stand on the South Pole. And the most famous expedition, uh, the ship, the Endurance, they sailed on, and they got unfortunately trapped in the polar ice, and the ship was slowly crushed. And the ship was first trapped in January 1915. And it finally sank in November of that year. And they camped out on the ice flows. But they managed to survive. And they got to land in April of 1916. But a huge, difficult... Can you imagine being trapped in the Antarctic off your boat and then floating on ice and then uh, rowing in some boats to try and get to... I think they got to Elephant Island in the end. And amazingly, the crew survived... In the accounts, they consider what was the hardest part of that feat of endurance. Was it the extreme cold? Was it the hunger? 
But Shackleton felt it was the darkness. The darkness was the hardest part. Near the South Pole, the sun sets in early May. It doesn't rise again till July. So a huge extended period of darkness. Someone said there's no physical desolation more complete than the, solar, the polar night. No sun day after day and week after week. It can drive people mad. In such deep darkness, you can't see forward. So you don't know where you're going. You've no direction. You can't see yourself. You forget what you look like. You may as well have no identity. And you can't tell if anyone's around you. So you feel completely isolated. And in the narrative today, we will see the growing darkness around Jesus. But we will finish today and then much more powerfully next week by looking into the light and seeing the light. So we're going to read through uh, a few sections of Mark's Gospel. We've been following Mark's Gospel. So let's read uh, the next slide and let's read this together. Mark fourteen fifty three. They took Jesus to the high priest and all the chief priests, the elders and the teachers of the law came together. Peter followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. There he sat with the guards and warmed himself at the fire. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so they could put him to death, but they did not find any. Many testified falsely against him, but their statements did not agree. Then some stood up and gave this false testimony against him. We heard him say... I will destroy this temple made with human hands and in three days will build another not made with hands. Yet even then, their testimony did not agree. And Jesus stands before the Sanhedrin. What had happened before this? Well, just before this, we've heard about in previous week, Jesus had been betrayed by uh, Judas, Mark fourteen forty-two. Here comes my betrayer. And Judas came and kissed him. Jesus is arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. Mark 14, 46, the men seized Jesus and arrested him. And then he's deserted by his friends and disciples. Verse 50, everyone deserted him and fled. So already before this, he's been betrayed, he's been arrested, and he's been deserted. And in this passage, there's an unjust trial. The whole leadership of Israel gathers together against Jesus the high priests, all the chief priests, the elders, and the teachers of the law all gather together against Jesus. And it's an unjust trial. It's a massive rejection of Jesus. And in John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 9, it says this, The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. So born into the Jewish nation, all the leaders turn against him and reject him and put him through this unjust trial. And verse 55 was said they were looking for evidence against Jesus. Would you like to be in a trial where the judges and the jury are looking for evidence against you? It's not going to kind of go in your favor, is it, when that's the situation? And then there's all these false testimonies, but even they clashed and fell apart. Uh, 
Let's read the next section together. Then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, said Jesus, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses, he asked. You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him as worthy of death. Then some began to spit at him. They blindfolded him, struck him with their fists and said, Prophesy! And the guards took him and beat him. It's very hard to read those words, isn't it? Very sober. Jesus initially remains silent in the face of the accusations. But then when he's uh, asked this question, are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? He does answer. And the chief priest is, the high priest is horrified. He's, as a sign of outrage and horror and grief, he tears his clothes and says, this man has blasphemed. And when Jesus answered, I am, he was claiming to be the Messiah. And it's also a claim to divinity. He was claiming to be the Son of God. In Exodus 3, when God appears to Moses, Moses says, suppose I go to the Israelites and say, the God of your fathers has sent me. And they asked me, what is his name? What shall I tell them? And God said to Moses, tell them, I am. I am who I am. I am Yahweh, the name of God. John eight fifty eight reinforces this. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So claim to be the Messiah, claim to be God himself in human form. And Jesus kind of strengthens the picture as well. You will see the Son of Man. And that's a reference to Daniel chapter 7. And the idea of the Son of Man coming is a divine judge, the Messiah coming to judge the world. And Jesus is identifying with that character in Daniel 7. You'll see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One. And again, you sense Jesus in his divinity, in his majesty, in the throne room of God. And that relates to Psalm 110, verse 1. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand. It's like the Lord God is appointing a Lord equal with him. And that's going to be the judge of the world sitting on the heavenly throne. It's a claim to divinity. And you'll see that Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven And that probably doesn't mean clouds of water vapor, but the clouds of heaven talk about the Shekinah glory of God. So Jesus says, I am. And in identifying with the Son of Man from Daniel, and that verse from Psalm 110, he's effectively saying he's divinely anointed to come as the judge of the whole world. And so the high priest and the others are completely outraged. But obviously there's huge irony in the story of, as well because the judge of all the world, God's appointed judge, he's in the dock. He's not on the judgment seat here. The judge of the entire world is being judged 
by the world. The world's gone upside down. And the darkness grows further. There's false condemnation. They all condemned him as worthy of death. Verse 64. And then there's physical abuse. They spat at him and punched him. And then there's mockery. They blindfolded him. If you're a great prophet, you should be able to see who's punching you. Punched him. It's okay, who was it? Totally despising and mocking and rejecting Jesus. And the darkness grows. Jesus has been betrayed, arrested, deserted, unjustly tried, rejected by his own nation, forcibly condemned, physically abused, and mocked. It's a sorry story, and the darkness really grows. And we see that darkness here, and maybe you can relate to some of those things in your life or some of those things in people that you know and love, people that have suffered betrayal or desertion, been treated unfairly, rejected or condemned. And unfortunately, the darkness deepens. At the end of Mark 14, Peter then, his best friend, denies him. I don't know this man. And then at the beginning of Mark 15, it says they bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. Now, the Sanhedrin condemned him to death, but they didn't have the right to take out the death penalty. They needed the Roman authorities for that. And there's another false trial, yet another trial. It's a bit of a kangaroo court. Verse 13 of Mark 15, the crowd shout out, crucify him. Uh, Why, says Pilate? What crime has he committed? Pilate doesn't think he's committed a crime. But they just shouted all the louder, crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them and he had Jesus flogged and handed over to be crucified. So a weak judge that just wanted to appease the mob, even though he knew there was no guilt here, handed him over. It was conviction by shouting. Completely unjust. We'd be outraged if there was a trial like that that involved anyone we knew. And then the soldiers lead Jesus away and they mock him. They put a robe on him. They put the crown of thorns in his head. You're king of Jews, are you? We'll have a laugh at your expense. So the Roman soldiers abused him and mocked him and robbed him of the clothes he was wearing, the only thing he had. And then it goes on to say in verse 27, they crucified two rebels with him, one on his right and one on his left. And the crowd that passed by hurled insults at Jesus, shaking their heads and saying, So, you're going to destroy the temple and build it in three days? Come down from the cross and save yourself. That was the crowd. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. They were laughing and despising and mocking Jesus as he was hanging and dying on a cross. He saved others, he said, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. And those who crucified were crucified with him on the right and the left also heaped insults on him. The darkness gets deeper and deeper. He's been denied by his best friend he's been falsely tried again he's been beaten yet again and he's mocked and insulted on the cross it's so much to endure i don't want to depress us this morning but we need to get into the reality of what christ suffered for us and then finally the deepest darkness and i think this comes out 
uh, not in all the physical pain he faced, not just in the rejection of the crowds and his friends, but a spiritual darkness descended as we look to the cross. And it's compounded, the physical abuse, the mental torture, the suffering is compounded by a sense of being abandoned and cut off from God. And Jesus experienced that. Mark fifteen thirty three. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I've gone for the theme of darkness because a lot of things that happened to Jesus happened in the dark. In uh, John's Gospel, chapter 13, it says that Satan entered into Judas. Jesus gave him the bread and said to him, what are you going to do? Do quickly. Then Judas went out, and John writes, and it was night. I don't think that was just a statement of fact. There's a spiritual power. It's going out into the darkness. The betrayal, the arrest, the trial, the denial of Jesus happen at night. And then we get, in the middle of the day, this darkness that comes on. I believe it's a supernatural, spiritual darkness, not just natural. The whole land went dark from noon to 3 p.m. That's amazing in a country. Anywhere that would be amazing. But darkness over the whole land from noon to 3 p.m. Was it a solar eclipse? I don't think it'd go completely dark for three hours with a solar eclipse. There was one a few years ago. It felt kind of cold, didn't it, and a bit dark for 10 minutes, but that wouldn't explain this. Some people said it was a desert windstorm, but I don't think a desert windstorm would have blown up on Mount Moriah and uh, covered the sun for three hours. And it was also usually the rainy season at Passover, so that wouldn't work. I believe it's a supernatural darkness and a sign of God's judgment. In Exodus 10, one of the plagues was darkness, wasn't it, when God was judging that nation? Darkness will cover the land of Egypt. It will be so dark you'll be able to feel it. Total darkness was everywhere in Egypt for three days. And there's another prophecy in Amos that says, At that time I'll cause the sun to go down at noon, and I will make the earth dark on a clear day. So as well as all the suffering and betrayal and denial, a spiritual darkness, a sense of God's judgment descends over Jesus on the cross. And then he speaks out and he says those words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And there, the first verse of Psalm 22, the first verse of Psalm 22, there's a lot of torment written in that psalm and it's amazingly fitting hundreds of years before, to describe what it would be like to die on the cross. Do read Psalm 22. But it ends on a note of praise and triumph, saying, I'll praise you in the midst of the congregation. Poor people will eat until they're full. People will hear the good things that God has done. There's a bit of debate. Was Jesus using this verse to really express his agony and sense of being abandoned my father by God my God why have you forsaken me or was he just speaking it out as a clue to read the whole psalm and get to the happy ending and people do debate this but I believe the former I believe he really experienced this agony he experienced the full weight of spiritual darkness he took on himself our sin 
and experienced the weight of God's righteous judgment against sin. He felt what it was like to be cut off from God. The theologian Jürgen Moltmann writes this, Jesus died with the signs and expressions of profound abandonment by God. He did not die with the calm detachment of Socrates. As a blasphemer, Jesus was rejected by the guardians of his people's law. As a rebel, he was crucified by the Romans. But finally, and most profoundly, he died as one rejected by God and Father. Jesus, who'd been in a perfect, loving relationship with Father from all eternity, was experiencing in his own being what it's like to be cut off from God, cut off from the love of God and God forsaken and the darkness has fully descended and done its worst it's not a happy story for a sunday morning but i believe that we need to think about that again you won't think about it most of the time you may be bombarded with easter bunnies and chocolate and daffodils and all this kind of stuff but to think about that growing darkness and all the different things that jesus suffered But I want to say a couple of things about the darkness and then finish on the light and then Sam and the band will help us to worship. And while the darkness fully descended and did its worst, one of the things I think is really important in this is that Jesus is God with us. And we need to be reminded this morning that Jesus is God with us. We're reminded at Christmas that Jesus is Emmanuel. In the Easter story, we see that Jesus completes his experience of the whole of human life. Jesus has inhabited humanity. He's put on our flesh. He's walked through life as we will walk through it, from conception, through birth, into childhood, then adult life, and right up to death itself. Jesus has been there Every step of the way, he knows what it's like to go through human life. He's inhabited all of it, including the darkness and pain and isolation that we sometimes experience. He understands it all. And that means that with us, he can enter into the most challenging times of living and dying that we experience. And he can be right there in those situations with us. Have you been betrayed? You can meet Jesus in that betrayal and he can help you work through the pain you experience there. Have you been deserted? Jesus was deserted. He can be with you and carry you through the impact of that on you. Have you been treated unfairly? Jesus completely was. And he can be with you even though you've been treated unfairly. Have you been rejected? Jesus was totally rejected, but he can be with you and heal you and deliver you from that spirit of rejection. Have you been abused? Do you feel cut off from God? Jesus knows what the darkness is like. He understands all of it, and he can be with you in those situations. Jesus is our great high priest. Hebrews 4 says this, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to feel sympathy with our weaknesses. He does feel that. 
But we have one who's been tempted in every way. He was tempted in every way, in every phase of life, just as we are. But yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So we think about the darkness because all of us, in some phases of life, all of us know people, all of us will walk through dark times. And we need to know that Jesus took on that darkness. He understands it. And he can be with us in it and he can make a difference to it and change the darkness. He's our great high priest. A theologian called Leanne Van Dyke writes, Only a Christ who's experienced the darkest valley of the shadow of death can truly walk with us through our dark and forsaken valleys. And Jesus shows great solidarity with us. William Platcher writes, The cross represents the culmination of the incarnation, divinity fully united with humanity. There's nothing that can happen to us, no pain, no humiliation, no journey into a far country or even into the valley of the shadow of death can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The incarnation shows us that in Christ God is with us. And the cross shows us that in Christ God is with us no matter what. Right to the end. Right in the heart of the darkness. Right to the point of death. God is with us. He inhabits every area. And if you know loved ones that are dying or have died, you can be confident that Christ can be right there with them. And maybe they're more aware of his presence right at the point of death. They don't suffer alone. He's there with them. And I'm just looking at Liz over there. She's one of the people that went in and prayed uh, with Paul and Beverly, with Beverly's mother who died Uh, just before her 95th birthday at St. Christopher's around the corner. And she met God two weeks before she died. And she could know that Jesus was with her in that crucial point of life and death. He's showing his solidarity there with us. He inhabits the darkness and is in it with us, but he lifts us out of it and takes us through it. And maybe you can think of situations I was trying to think about uh, my life and growing up I had lots of problems I had eating problems, difficulties making friends, felt incredibly isolated and Jesus met me at those times I won't go into detail here and then when uh, Yvonne's sister's husband died aged 32 uh, leaving a wife and two small boys aged nearly four and one a time of huge darkness and very difficult But Jesus didn't walk away from that. He was there. And seeing Yvonne's sister Ruth, her faith held up amazingly. Seemed to be stronger than ours at the time. Jesus was with her at that time. And then some of you will know a few years ago there was a disabled man here, Chris. uh, used to come in his motorized wheelchair. And that whole experience uh, three years ago or so was, was very... I didn't realize at the time what a big experience it was. His, Chris's mother had died. His stepfather, Elko, uh, was diagnosed with a grade four brain tumor. 
and I was spending time with the stepfather. Chris used to come here in his wheelchair. And then uh, one day his younger brother, Matthew, committed suicide. And then I went with the stepfather who had the brain tumour to tell Chris that his younger brother had committed suicide. And Chris was devastated. And in the shock of that, he dropped dead the next day. And then we buried the two of them. And then a month later, the stepfather died and we buried him as well. And that whole darkness in one family, those three bereavements. And I know that Conrad experienced three bereavements a few years ago when three of his siblings died in a period of four months. The darkness can be huge. But Jesus is our great high priest. He understands what we're going through. He's walked through the darkness himself. He's been through the valley of the shadow of death. He understands it. He wants to be there with us and alongside us and to lift us up. So while the darkness is heavy and it's difficult to think about it, it was real in Jesus' life. But it's good that it's real because he knows the pain. He knows the suffering. And he can be with us in it and bring us healing from it. But also I want to say that there's forgiveness in Jesus in the midst of the darkness. I can know that Jesus is with me and helping me in my darkness and with my problems. But if I'm honest, in my own nature, I'm also part of the problem. I'm part of the problem in this world. I'm not part of the solution in my own self. Betrayal. Who have I betrayed? I'm sure I've betrayed people. Desertion. Have I deserted someone? Have I turned my back on someone? Have I rejected them? Unfairness. What about all those times I've thought about people unfairly? I've treated people unfairly. What about rejection? Who have I turned a blind eye to? Who have I tried to avoid? Condemnation. Who have I made false judgments on? Who have I wrongly judged and blamed? Left to our own devices, we're part of the problem. We can contribute to the darkness. But on the cross, we not only see that God is with me, helping me, But also on the cross, Jesus takes on board my sins, my bad thoughts, my wrong actions. And when he cries, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus stands in my place as my substitute. He takes the judgment due to me. He's bruised for my transgressions. And if I put my faith in him, I receive forgiveness and eternal life. So he can be in my darkness with me, but in the darkness he also forgives me when I'm part of the problem. He brings the solution. He can bring forgiveness. And then finally, we need to finish here and then turn back to to worship into the light. Mark 15, verse 37. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion, who stood there in front of Jesus, saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the Son of God. And after Jesus dies, light immediately breaks in, that curtain's torn in two from top to bottom. 
It's from top to bottom because it shows that it's God that's tearing it. And he's allowing spiritual light into our world. The curtain was the curtain at the entrance to the Holy of Holies. And it was, we were separated from God's presence because it would destroy us. But when Jesus died, when Jesus did it all, when Jesus won the victory, we're free to approach God and the light comes in as the curtain is torn. And the wonderful gospel that we have, the first person who sees the light, who realizes who Jesus is, that he's the son of God, is a hardened centurion Roman soldier that's been through war, that's killed lots of people himself probably. But in seeing Jesus and seeing the way Jesus died, a Gentile, an outsider from the people of God, a hardened soldier came to recognize and be the first person to say, surely Jesus is the Son of God. And the light begins to shine every time someone recognizes Jesus, knows that he died on the cross for them, knows that he loves them, knows that he's forgiven them. The light shines out into the darkness. And when they get it, and they put their trust in Jesus and put their faith in Jesus, they come to spiritual life. Then the light starts shining. Jesus is the light of the world, but he says that we are the lights of the world. And he loves it every time a new light comes on and someone comes to life. And that light spreads through us. And I'll finish with this. I was reading Isaiah 58. There's lots of issues in our world. And we need the light of Jesus to shine. And we need it to shine through us. So I was thinking of, of knife crime. I'm so glad hundreds of Christians were in Trafalgar Square last Saturday afternoon calling on God to make a difference to the violence in our capital. And by the grace of God, it seems to have been a fairly quiet week, doesn't it? Have you noticed that? There hasn't been a stabbing every day this week like there has been recently. I'd like to think that us calling on God, becoming part of the light, can make a real difference. The food bank talks about feeding the hungry. It's wonderful to see people coming in with problems and difficulties, not having enough food, but a light coming on them, going out, having been prayed for and having received food for the week. I was hearing a story on the radio today about modern slavery, a terrible thing. And uh, this Christian woman was on a tube, and uh, she saw a young uh, Eastern European-looking woman and this older man there. And this young girl tried to jump off the tube, and then the man would get off, and then she'd jump on before the, the doors closed. But he also jumped on. And after she'd seen her looking terrible and trying to avoid this man, this young woman challenged him, this Christian woman, and said, yeah, who are you? And he said, I'm her father. And she thought, you're a liar. You're not. And uh, then this young woman jumped off the tube again, and she jumped off with her, and the man jumped off, and then they jumped on again. And then she said, I just don't like what you're doing. I don't feel happy with this. And while she was talking to him, the young woman jumped off the tube, the door shut. And the tube pulled out and she was free from him. Just one example, one little story on the radio of a Christian taking action at great cost and risk to herself, but to shine a light in the face of terrible treatment of people. And I'll finish with Psalm 58. When the light shines, that shows that the power of God is coming to make a difference to this dark world.
Is not this the kind of fasting I've chosen, to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then your light will break forth like the dawn. Your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here I am. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with a pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. Thank you, Lord. Let's stand and let's close in worship. Let's realize that Jesus experienced the darkness That means he can be with us in our darkness. That means he can forgive us for the darkness we've contributed. And that means he can work for his light to shine in our lives and through our lives into this world to make a real difference.